In this episode, I am joined by the host of the Board Game Design Lab podcast, Gabe Barrett. His podcast has been instrumental, essential, and integral to my understanding of game design. Gabe has interviewed dozens of people from the gaming community to pick their brains and get their expertise in game design, marketing, advertising, shipping, and much, much more. So, I felt it was time to pick his brain and get this Father of Force take on his board gaming habit. Have a listen. All right, welcome back to Touching Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins, and with me today is podcaster, author, game designer, Father of four, Gabe Barrett. Gabe, how you doing? I am doing pretty well, sir. A lot of stuff going on. Life is a mess and chaotic right now. But overall, I'm going to be all right. So thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, your podcast, uh, Board Game Design Lab, has really been helpful to me as a board game designer. And I've listened to countless episodes from your show. And it's really, like I said, it's been helpful in guiding me through the board game design process and trying trying the keyword there to avoid some of the uh, pitfalls of board game design maybe not always success- successful as you know there's always always things hidden that you don't see coming yeah absolutely and I'm, I'm glad you, you've enjoyed the show i'm glad you're getting value out of it i always love to hear that people listen and also find it useful because when i first started i was like you know if i can just get 10 solid people that find these things interesting, 10 listeners and be in double digits, I'll feel pretty good about it. And um, it took <laughs> off a little, a little more than that. And uh, it's just been kind of crazy to, to see you know, where it's going over the last five, six years. I'm going to say, yeah, you've had pretty good, pretty good run. How many episodes have you had? I am coming up on 300 at this point. Woo! I'm in like the 280s somewhere at this point. I've recorded almost up to 300 and I've just got a whole bunch in the queue line. And so, yeah, it's that's nuts. Like, I no clue. I, I was like, if I could just do a handful and we'll see what happens. And then here we are. <laughs> Yeah, and here we are, five six years later, three hundred deep. You know, whatever. Yeah, it's been it's been crazy, and but also the community that's come out of that has just been phenomenal. Just some of the most amazing and encouraging, helpful people on the internet. And so the, the board game design lab Facebook group is just my favorite place to go. It's basically the only reason I still use Facebook. <laughs> it's just to come in there and, and talk to people and, and see what they're working on and, and see pictures of their prototypes. And, and I just love that community so much. And um, so anybody from, from that community listening, I really appreciate you. And anybody listening that's not part of that community, we welcome you. We'd love to have you. <laughs> Can never have too many people in that community. Absolutely, man. Yeah, if it weren't for uh, you know having this podcast in my own community and everything, like you said, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't really use Facebook for much of anything else. Yeah, it seems like social media in general is kind of where conversation goes to die most of the time. And um, so it's nice to find groups where you can have one central idea. It's like, hey, this is what we're here for. We're not here to have drunken uh, rantings about whatever's going on in the world, like your uncle on Thanksgiving. You know, it's it's just, hey, let's talk about board games. Let's talk about board game design. Let's talk about gardening. So, you know, whatever it is, I, I think that's Facebook's true superpower. And all the rest is just like, what are we doing here, guys? Anyway. <laughs> If only we could figure that out, right? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so, Gabe, how did you get into gaming? That is a great question. So, uh, you know, I played games a lot as a kid, as all kids do, you know, making up games and, and having fun and making up, making up games that I change the rules so that I win. Uh, I'm noticing that a lot with my kids now. It's like, oh, the rules have changed and you win again. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> but then, like, gamer-style game, hobby-style games 
really was in college. I got into playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, with a group of friends that, uh, that I was going to school with there. And then we started playing um, kind of the Euro style games and, and all these new games I'd never heard of, games I'd never seen before. And all of a sudden the world opened up and I was like, oh, there's a whole other side of this that's not Monopoly and Sorry and Scrabble and all that. There's a, there's a huge you know, grouping of options of other games. And um, so that's when I really started getting into it more, probably junior year of college. And uh, so I'm 35 now. So that's, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. And so ever since then, it's just been a wild ride. Rampage through the through the gaming community. Yeah, absolutely. And now working in the industry, you know, it's kind of crazy to, yeah. to go full circle. And, and being able to interview some of the people that I played their game, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I thought it was great. And I was like, oh, man, this, this designer, they're so amazing. And you talk to them, like, oh, it's just a regular dude. You know, but they're they're awesome. It's great people. And so. No, that to me has been one of the best things about this uh, community in the podcasting world is a lot of the people that design some of the best games that you play, you can just reach out to them and, hey, you want to talk? And they're like, yeah, let's talk. And you're like, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, no pressure there. I remember when I first started my show, I, I created a list of, 10 or 12, let's see, I think it was 12 people that I was like, okay, here's like the 12 designers or publishers or people I would love to have in my first handful of episodes. And if I can get one of them to say yes, then I'll feel really good about myself. And I'll feel like this is like a cool idea to, to pursue. Uh, so out of the 12, 10 of them said yes. And I was like, oh, shoot, I am not prepared for this at all. Like how I, <laughs> how does one podcast exactly? And so, yeah. and, and now I'm going to be talking to these people that I, you know, just am a huge admirer of or, or just really amazing people. Jamie Stegmaier was my first episode on the show. And I was like, this is crazy. Uh, and so, yeah, it's amazing that you can just reach out and uh, chat with these folks. Yeah. I, that's kind of what happened. I was just doing mine as a, like a board game review uh, with the lunchtime potential of games and playing them at lunch with your coworkers. And one of the games we played a lot was Castle Panic by Fireside Games because it's a whole different type of game, right? It's a cooperative game, everybody working together instead of having, you know, everybody duking it out to, to win the game we're all working together and my son and i played the oh my goodness we played the, the ever-living tar out of that game and he's like hey dad you ought to you ought to interview the justin dewitt and i'm like why would justin dewitt come on my show <laughs> and so i i literally like pinged him on facebook and like a couple hours later he's like yeah let's do it and i'm like oh okay um guess i'm doing interviews now that's <laughs> <laughs> awesome man and i've had the same same situation over and over again where it's like hey i'm just gonna reach out i'm just gonna shoot the shot and we'll see what happens the worst they can say is no or not get back to me and, and that'll be fine but then they almost always say yes and what's crazy is in like sometimes sometimes now i'll reach out to somebody like I, um, I interviewed phil walker harding the other day like a couple weeks ago and uh, i reached out to him i said hey love to have you on the show he goes oh man i love your show i listen to it all the time i was like are you no no you don't it's like steven spielberg <laughs> you know if i had a film podcast like steven spielberg saying oh yeah i love your show like no way there's no way but um yeah, yeah it's just it's just cool <laughs> no that's that's awesome i mean that's good stuff so if i travel well to your house wherever it is whether you're still down in honduras or back up in the states what is your current favorite game what is the game you currently have out on your table so yeah, I'm, I'm in Honduras at the moment. Been here right at eight years. I've been in process of moving, uh, which is why my life is just kind of chaotic right now and figuring that out and having to sell literally everything I own that doesn't fit into <laughs> two suitcases and then kind of start over in in the states. Um, and so that also includes most of my games. So I'm gonna have to like kind of start my game collection 
over because board games don't exactly travel well in suitcases. They get all jacked up and banged around and, you know, we'll see. But um, I've been playing a game called The Fuzzies a lot lately. Have you ever seen The Fuzzies? No, I have not seen okay. The Fuzzies. Ridiculous name. It was on Kickstarter uh, a while back. Um, I interviewed the, the designer, but it's like, it's kind of like Jenga where you've got a big tower and then you're taking pieces off and putting pieces on top, but it's all these little fuzzy balls. And these designers just figured out like this magical type of, of material that like sticks together really, really well. And so it's fun. And, and you've got these cards, you'll turn over a card and it'll tell you like how, like, it'll tell you which color you need to pull off the, the, the middle or the bottom and then put it on the top. But then there's all these extra rules. Like if you knock some off, you might have to uh, put the ne- you might have to do the next turn with your your off hand, your left hand, or your non dominant hand. You might have to do it, you know, like moving your arms in weird ways. And so it, it adds a little bit more interesting uh, ideas, I guess, to Jenga. And it, it looks great on the table. My kids love it, and uh, all my kids can play it. So I've got a 13 year old, a 10 year old, a three year old, and a one year old. The one year old, not so much at this point, can play anything. But uh, other than I pooped my pants. Now the game is you have to figure it out. That's um, yeah, and that's a, that's a game nobody wins. <laughs> Absolutely. Or the game of I've got food on my plate. Uh, I'm going to throw it on the floor and see how many times you can pick it back up and put it back on my plate before you uh, realize that this is a game and I'm not actually going to eat it. You clearly don't have a dog to just swoop it and, and eat it. <laughs> I do not. You just not. not make it to my floor. It, oh, it's man. like mid flight. The dog will swoop in. <laughs> but uh, my kids can, you know, the older three can all play the game relatively competitively right and um and so it's been a lot of fun we've been playing that one a good bit lately oh that's awesome i'll have to look, to look into the fuzzies yeah i don't know, can't believe i missed that on kickstarter which is probably okay i've got plenty of other kickstarter games well there's one or two you know launching every tuesday so <laughs> oh my god oh my goodness there's at least one or two launching every tuesday um, you got that nice backlog of ones that are, haven't shown up yet. And you're like, you know, yesterday I just had a box show up and I'm like, what is this? And then I opened it up. Like, hey, yeah, I remember back in this. <laughs> right. It's like Christmas again. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so how do you pronounce Klaus Teuber's game? The settlers so, of, I would say Catan. And that was probably, I don't know if, I don't know even if there is a right definition. I should probably know that, but that's how I was told to me back in 2000 <laughs> and, Eight, I think the first time I played it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what someone said. I, yeah, it's about, yeah, that's about the time I got into it. Two thousand and eight. Yeah, yeah. So. I so I actually have the Japanese version, and you know the Japanese language is all the characters are based on sound, mm-hmm. and so I had a friend that knew Japanese read it to get the, like the phonetic sound of it, and it's katana. And I'm like, see Katan, I'm there right. And that to, that to me has been as definitive as I've gotten <laughs> as a mystery answer. solved. Yeah, absolutely. So your, your reasoning and your logic is sound. Case closed. Thank you. Everybody else is wrong, right? Yep. <laughs> so you're a teacher down in Honduras, right? Yeah. So not not right now. So basically, I was for four years, and then in this last year, I knew we were probably moving, and so I went to the administration and I said, "Hey, you know, I don't want to." Like when, when we get the when we get the visas, we're out. Uh, we're sitting on G waiting on O. My wife's father uh, has cancer, stage four cancer right now, and so you know we're we're not waiting around, you know, and we want to get back and spend as much time as we can with him and just be around family. Um, my two older kids, we've adopted them, and so they've never actually met most of their family because they haven't been able to leave Honduras, and so you know I knew that we were 
we're going to leave as soon as possible, right? So basically the visas came in uh, a few days ago and, and we're moving uh, a few days from now. Like it's a quick turnaround. And, um, and so that's a long story, long story to tell you that I've been doing like uh, professional development and doing a lot of stuff with the school, kind of not in a teaching capacity, doing a lot of kind of administration and leadership stuff and all that. But yes, I did teach here, uh, taught English to 10th and 12th grade students for four years before moving into that role. And so did you, did you use board games with them uh, to teach language and also gaming, basically? Oh, yeah, correct? 100%. Um, this was one of my favorite parts of teaching. So the uh, work for is just really open to kind of, here's what we want you to teach as far as concepts, but then how you accomplish that is kind of up to you. And obviously there's some restrictions and accountability and I can't just do what I want, but, but I was able to use games a lot in my classroom. And so, um, you know, teaching 10th and 12th grade English, uh, I'm able to teach Sherlock Holmes, which means I could do like social deduction games. I could do all sorts of like interesting puzzly games where you're having to like figure out who done it. Um, Deception was one of my absolute favorite games to play in the classroom because you you know you have the murder weapons out there you have all these things and you have you know the students like trying to figure out who 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 did it and, and it's a very easy game to teach and I could also print out enough components where I didn't have to have like five copies of the game I could just kind of print out a bunch of components and then use the cards I've got the expansion and so that was a really fun <laughs> game um, I also found a Sherlock Holmes roll and write that was uh, it's based on Rolling America or Rolling Japan yeah 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 I've there's a Sherlock that. Holmes version that's like it's I mean it's not a there's no theme in that game it's, it's, just, literally, it's just like his uh his silhouette it's, it's, yeah exactly exactly yeah. but that game just it broke their brains which was a lot of fun because it's a very brain burnery game and I remember the first time they played it they're like how do you do this yeah, but like halfway well. through they click you know and they're like oh I see and so we played you know several times and they they get it and have fun um, I'm trying to think oh I played a lot of the Unlock series where it's kind of this cooperative, you know, trying to figure out the codes and, and work your way through the deck. And that was a lot of fun. I'm trying to think, what else? Oh, I, um, well, I started a Dungeons and Dragons club at school. And so we were playing one day a week after class. And so that was great. And just having kids come in and have fun doing that. But I was like, okay, how could I do this in my classroom in a 40 minute time period? Because if you ever played D and D, it's like, okay, I need four hours to do one session. <laughs> uh, just mark off your whole afternoon, your whole evening. Um, but so I was like, okay, how could how could you do that in a short amount of time? And so I basically started using uh, Powered by the Apocalypse system, where you're just rolling two d six, and that's very fast and um, very quick. Uh, I used Fate at one point as well, just trying to figure out a good fast system. But what's so fun with that though is basically I, I turned a lot of literature stuff into the game. So each um, you broke up the, the uh, classroom into groups, and they would all create a character and have their stats and their special abilities and stuff like that. And then I would throw them into these crazy scenarios where they might be fighting the Hound of the Baskerville in, in some you know crazy moment where, you know, they get these characters from Sherlock Holmes, whatever. Then they had to fight a windmill from Don Quixote, right? And yeah, like the nice. windmill really was alive and it was, you know, coming to get you and you had to you know, figure out how to beat it. And Don Quixote was an ally. And, and so I started doing this really fun, uh, you know, kind of role-playing stuff in my classroom and the kids just ate it up, man. And it was so great because one, it's fun. Two, I'm basically tricking them into learning, which is always the goal as a teacher, right? So for kids to be learning and not realize it. And they get done, and they're like, oh, shoot, I learned some cool stuff today. And I didn't mean to do that, but it happened. But it was so great for problem solving because I would create these scenarios. And it's like, I'll tell them at the beginning. It's like, all right, guys, I don't know how you're going to defeat this. I don't know how you're going to get out of this situation. Uh, I think it's going to murder all your characters. Um, but good <laughs> luck. Here's some tools. Here's some ideas. And and they would have to like problem solve and figure out how to overcome whatever interesting literature thing was, was going on. And um, they had to befriend Moby Dick at one time. 
like it's just a lot of fun stuff to to come up with and um they did a great job and they came up with these really clever ways around these problems stuff i never thought of you know i had ideas like okay well maybe they could use this or do that they would come up with these ridiculous things and then you know some students being being them would that was their goal to be as ridiculous and somewhat inappropriate as as possible and uh see how they could get through it but yeah so i all that to say i love using games in the classroom and i've, I've used a whole lot more than that as well i'm sure that's what you know when I, you talked about that a couple of times on your podcast and, you know, I was like, man, I, you know, I use my board games at lunch to get my coworkers together and kind of just, you know, like you said, think outside the box and just come at things differently. Uh, we did start a D and D group at lunch. Uh, we play through basically every other session. So it'll be like, this is a, an adventuring session. This is a information gathering session. This is an attack battle session. And it, it works pretty well. We use Roll20, so we can do it yeah. over the internet since we're kind of spread out everywhere now. Right. Yeah, it's amazing how far technology has come since I started playing back with 4th edition back in college. And uh, yeah, the ability to just do so much more now is just phenomenal. Yeah, and to have that set up already there and then you have the knowledge. And, you know, my friends have been playing D&D for 30 plus years, and I just got into it about three four years ago they're all like arguing over can you do this or that or no that's this many dice that's that many dice well no just you just you need to adjust this formula here because it's rolling incorrectly and i'm like if that's if it's rolling incorrectly you guys would know (laughs) right i would not know so if a game allows you to pick a color at the start is there a specific color that you like to gravitate towards i usually pick purple for some reason, I don't know why I like purple, um, which has been not great because my daughter, her favorite color is purple. So now we have to fight over it. And, you know, I hate to defeat her every time, but it must be done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Daddy so is we'll, purple. Exactly. Exactly. The color of kings. Um, and so sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll have like a little roll off or, or do some little mini game and, and see who gets to be purple. <laughs> uh, if I have to have a, a, a number two color, it's always blue. That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, now my son, been... he likes blue. So it's like, what well, gum? We're going to just have to figure this out, guys. We're going to have to, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you better come to play and play that's again right. because that's awesome. The pregame is more intense than the actual game, you know, just to see who gets which color. That's amazing. That's a good idea, though. Have the, uh, the, the pregame. Yeah. No, no. Well, this is the battle for purple. And if I lose, we're battling for blue. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So if you if you were playing a game at, on a lunch hour a full 60 minutes, what's your go-to 60-minute game? That's a good question. So I don't really ha- – being a teacher and then now working from home, it's also kind of weird in this whole hybrid world we're living in, especially here in Honduras where things are still pretty pretty locked down, pretty scaled back right now. Um, I haven't had like a lunch hour in a very long, long time. I have like a lunch 18 minutes, you know, and I've got like lunch duty and I'm trying to eat while also like staring at kids and making sure they're not like – doing stupid stuff um, being a teacher and all that as then, they do in high school <laughs> oh they do they do no matter where you go no matter what country you live in what language they speak what culture they are uh yes silly things dumb things that you're just like what what is it that you're saying you're doing here you know Did that just happen <laughs> right and i'm standing here you know like yeah. you know i'm here and looking towards your general direction still doing dumb things anyway that's that's glad to know that's cro- yeah glad to see yeah. that's cross-cultural 100 <laughs> percent um I'm trying to think 60 minute games. So I love 
Blockus, Blocus, Blocus. I say Blockus. I don't know the actual pronunciation of that one either. Um, big fan of that one. Castle Panic that you mentioned earlier. Huge fan. Yeah. Huge fan of that game with my kids. Like if I'm going to do a lunch hour, like now I work at home. And so if I was going to do an hour with them, we could either play 17 rounds of the fuzzies because it's such a fast game. Or we could do like one solid game of Castle Panic. Um, I've been wanting to play Star Trek Panic. Is it any good? Have you played oh, that one? Oh, man. Yes. It. So Star Trek Panic takes the idea of Castle Panic and then like ups it a notch. So like you rotate the ship. So you have so that you because your attacker phasers, right? Yeah. So you have to rotate your ship so that your phaser shooting off the starboard side is in the direction that you want to shoot. And then you can move forward, which just brings all the guys, all the enemies in one in the direction you're facing. You're trying to complete little missions. It's not it's not Castle Panic to the point where you're trying to just defeat the bag. Mm-hmm. You're trying to complete so many missions. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Oh, it's. It's a fantastic IP meets game mechanic. Like it, yeah. it works. You get so many of those ones that are like forced, and you're like, mm. or they're just out, out and out bad. This right. one is a very good marriage of Star Trek and Castle Panic. So yeah, that's great to hear. I'm gonna have to add that to the list of my my new like <laughs> recreating of my board game collection. That's gonna be near the top of the list because it, it looked really fun when I saw it. I don't know if it was at a convention. A long time ago or a video or something like that looks like a lot of fun um another game is formula d oh. which is again super fun rolling dice you know the the tension of do i do i go up a gear and push my luck you know do because i want to roll that 30 sided die i really just <laughs> that's always my goal there's, just a, there's never a good opportunity no, in any game no. you're like because I, even if you do you gotta like take so much damage to downshift uh-huh. to like yep. third gear for the next round <laughs> Right, but the fact that you can you know move thirty spaces or some I can't remember the top number on that die, but like the fact that you could just do that is so much fun, and I've had a lot of fun playing. Yeah, that throw way. the nos in there while you're at it. And oh, six absolutely! More. Let's just let's just ride out. Let's just let's just go through seven turns and blow up in a. Blaze I'm going of glory. out. Of, yeah, I'm going. Exactly. I was like, let's yeah. go into Blaze of Glory here. Go big or go I'm home. We always like flip the yeah. We always like flip the car, and you know, this is this is where I crashed. You know, boom, there's wreckage. Yep. Go around it. Oh man, so, Formula D. Oh, I gets a lot of play in my house. Uh, we got yeah. a lot of the uh, expansion tracks, which are double sided uh-huh. boards. Oh, they all got another, little quirky rules too. Yeah, and another game kind of in the same ish genre, and I really want to get into is Pitch Car. And I can't wait to get into that one. You know, living in Honduras, it's hard to one. You're not going to get any, get anything shipped here, uh, or if you do, it's you're going to pay by the pound. And Pitch Car is a heavy game because it's so thick and all those tiles and stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'll just I'll worry about that when I get back. And so I'm really looking forward to setting up a track around my the house I'm moving into, and uh, we're just going to have some fun. My kids and we all love dexterity games, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of that is a follow up to Formula D, and uh, <laughs> we'll see. There's always a big pitch car game going on at the local convention here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, Geekway, they've always got like a big old pitch car tournament. People are over there, like you said, with the dexterity, they're like flinging the cars down and stuff. I like to, I like to try to get in on that tournament sometime, but yeah, it fills up quick. Yeah, I bet. So a lunch half hour, a thirty minute game. Thirty minute game. So, man. I would probably I'm trying to, I'm looking at my shelf of games that like get the most plays. And so right now, 
throw through a burrito. It's not exactly a 30-minute game. We probably played a couple times. But any game where I can throw stuff at my children, and that's part of the rules, like that's just part of playing the game. Because like any game is technically a game you can throw stuff at your children. Yeah. You know, technically. You know, yeah, yeah. It might not be a good parenting, <laughs> but it is possible. But with that game, they have so much fun. And they're getting better. Like Again, they love dexterity stuff. And so they're getting better at, at almost. they can almost hit dad. Dad's pretty good. He's, he's got some dodge skills. You know, and so they're having a hard time hitting me with that foam burrito. But we'd probably play that a couple times, maybe throw a little fuzzies in there. Also, have you ever played Dr. Eureka? I have. Oh, One man. time, yeah. I My like kids that. love, love that game. Again, it's got a little dexterity element. It's got some problem solving. You're kind of having to do some reasoning about where the little uh, colorful balls go in the in the beakers and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And so that's a lot of fun. We, we played that and that one a whole lot. Like, you can tell which games would get the most plays because the boxes are all jacked up for my kids just not having motor skills. Um, ooh, King of Tokyo, definitely oh. in there. Definitely in there. Oh. Yeah, so, so you tried the game. Dark Edition? Mm-hmm. Have oh. I tried it? No, I've, I've seen it, but oh, I haven't played man. it yet. Is it any different, or is it just the, the same game? So, whole new batch artwork um, to kind of, I guess, make it more dark. But they do have a new mechanic up the side where you can uh, get... So, instead of having, like, the power-up cards and all that, as you, you can progress up this track on the side and basically take power up abilities but they're all out available for everybody at the beginning and so you can see do i want to go that path or this path and we haven't played it as much as we've played obviously the original but uh yeah the king of tokyo is, is such a hard game to beat for for me i love it as an entry level because anybody can play it everybody right. understands yahtzee at its core so Let's give Yahtzee a theme, and Richard Garfield just nailed it. Right, he he does that. He has a tendency to do that. He touches anything, and it becomes a bazillion dollar idea. So oh, yeah, that's man. no exception. Well, I they were, they're releasing a third one this year, and I'm like, I need to know what it is. I need to right. know when it's coming out. Yep. Stop, stop teasing me. Just, just tell me already. I, yeah. I'm going to buy it. I just want to know when is it coming out. That's right. all. What is it, and when is it coming out, so I can. I can like you know be be ready and amped up for it. Yeah, it'd be I cool to it. see like a King of the Galaxy, like go let's go space, let's let's do something interesting like that, or you know because uh, you know King of Paris would be fine. I'm trying to think of other major cities, King of I don't know Hong Kong, um, but like King of the Milky Way, King of the Universe. Oh, okay, go. now we're getting scaled up. Let's see what happens. Like these giant world eating monsters, you know, battling it out for the galaxy. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't care what it is. I'm, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> King of the bathroom. I'm buying it. Yep. Let's buy it. <laughs> Sounds weird, but I, in Richard Garfield, I trust. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> I'd be there and buy it. But yeah, we uh, we played the we play that game a lot, and we we had this one, some family in town and friends in town, and we played a six player, and we all played as an expansion character, and we put all the expansions in, so you had all these crazy big dice and the berserker die and the die of fate and you're you know you basically got like a softball size amount of dice you're trying to roll oh yeah, man that's, awesome. that's and like you said it's go. a great it's a great game to get people into the hobby to say hey if you ever played yahtzee you could play this it, let's add like one point of complexity up to that and um and then they, they love it i played it a lot with um, my honduran students here they, they they get into it and they get they get upset like why are you attacking me <laughs> Yeah, it's like you're in Tokyo, like that's the game. Like, what are you talking about? And so, anyway, it's, it's been a lot. Of fun. I like that when the people are like, "I want to try to hang on. I can win on my turn." Dude, you have two health. 
<laughs> so you're if saying there's you, a chance. <laughs> exactly. Like the chances of you surviving this are pretty nil. But right. I'm willing to give you a shot, but I'm I am gonna kill you. Just yes, absolutely. I'm going to roll over and over again, only for the claws. I yeah. care about nothing else other than your destruction. Just you ever so you play uh, King of New York? I have not. I bought it oh. and then I was gonna play it and I don't I never saw it again. I don't know if it got lost in the move. I don't know where it went. Someone is enjoying my copy of King of New York somewhere, but I never got to actually play it. I pulled it out of strength. I read the rules. I was good to go. And literally, I have no idea what happened to it. So, you know. Well, well, that's maybe too bad. <laughs> it's a good one because, it, it, again, Richard Garfield being like the genius that he is, took King of Tokyo and this put like another layer on top of it to where you're moving up Manhattan Mm-hmm. And you got the burrows around the outside, and you got the little tiles of the city fighting you back. So, like, the city's not just going to lay down and and take it, you know. So they're moving in tanks and airplanes, and and then you got to destroy them. And based on like, I think they call that side of the die an ouch. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you roll an ouch, then the city attacks you. And I mean, it's it does it takes King of Tokyo to the next level, which I didn't know it needed to be taken to the next level. Right. But I'm glad he did. And we don't play that one as much, um, mainly because King of Tokyo is so easy and quick to set up. But yeah, but you bring up a good point. If our, if uh, Richard Garfield says you need it, you need it. You, you, yeah, you just do. So yeah, yeah. You're like I'm not sure, but he said so. Trust the Almighty, Richard. <laughs> so a guilty pleasure. Well, I like to call it more of a hidden gem, a game that you like that you don't feel like enough people know about it. Yeah. So my my girls, my my two oldest kids. They went through very much a Powerpuff Girl stage, which was as great. they do. Yes, which is amazing and weird at the same time because it's like, okay, this is the show that I watched when I was, I don't know, however old, however old I was, you know, many moons ago when that show was actually coming out and airing for the first time. And so they were watching these these shows, and it's like Mojo, Jojo, and I would you know kind of mess with them and do stuff like that. And um, they wanted you know Powerpuff Girl birthday parties and and toys and stuff. And I was like, there's got to be some Powerpuff Girl board games out there. And I'm sure they're bad. I'm sure they came out years ago and they're not any good. But let me find some. And I found one on eBay. I'm trying to remember the name. It's like, I think it's literally just called the Powerpuff Girls. Like board game. <laughs> I think it's just that simple. And um, it's not a great game. All right, you're not going to play it and go like, wow, the designer of this thing, they have figured something out that is just going to change the industry. This but guy is sitting on a beach somewhere. <laughs> he is. He is. And um, But... It has, so it's, the game takes way too long to set up. Like the board has all these pieces where you have to like poke them through the bottom of the board. And nothing fits quite right. And there's like a lot of just stuff to set up. So as a parent, you hate it from the beginning. Because it's like, I'm just trying to play a game. The game takes like 20 minutes to play. Maybe longer than that because it, it, it takes longer than it should. But anyway, but the setup is like just as long as the game. And so what are we doing? And then you can't even leave it set up. You got to take it all back apart and then put it back in the box. So otherwise it doesn't fit. So anyway, it's got a lot of things not going for it for sure. But there's this one aspect of the game where... Basically, the Mojo Jojo player, which is always me. It's always me because I just love that. And then my, my girls and my wife, they'll be the, the Powerpuff Girls running around the board. But there's this mechanism where if you're Mojo Jojo, you get to throw dice at the Powerpuff Girl uh, standees on the board. And if you hit them, like these things trigger and all these things happen. And I'm, I'm pretty good at dexterity stuff, right? That's my jam. And so I crush my kids in this game. Like I just love being Mojo Jojo <laughs> and winning like he never did on the show. Like, no, no, we're not going to make some stupid mistake at the end. We're going to crush these Powerpuff Girls, and we're going to have fun doing it. And uh, obviously, I let them 
win to a certain degree. But uh, I, want him, <laughs> I want him to keep playing. I don't want him to just sure. crush your hopes and dreams. But uh, that that game is a little bit of a guilty pleasure. Hard to find. Probably have to go to eBay to find it. But uh, eBay's yeah, been good to me lately, trying to find mm-hmm. uh, some of these games. Some of them, not so much. I've been trying to track down a couple that a couple of my guests have suggested, and my I just cannot drop 70 bucks on that game oh yeah yeah you can but, find it it's just a matter of finding the money as well it could be a little, yeah a little challenging. yeah exactly so you bring up an interesting point with the dexterity games uh probably i don't remember if it's your first game or not but the final flick tier yeah that so, was a dice flicking game yeah it was so that was i'm trying to remember i designed a ton of games before that one and you know i was in the pitching stage and stuff like that that was the one that i was like you know what? i think i'm gonna publish that one myself i think yeah. i'm gonna do it myself uh, I'd actually talked to uh, was it Ezra Games that that publishes Catacombs, all those dexterity style games, and um and Aaron West, who's the uh, publisher over there, he really liked it, but he had already signed Ascending Empires to do a reprint, and he's like, well, I've already I'm already doing kind of what you're doing. It's it's a much deeper, more complicated gamer style game um, of that, but uh, yeah, the Final Flick tier was this kind of family fa- family four X game in a lot of ways because it's you know flicking dice around this giant neoprene mat. Uh, universe galaxy and just trying to collect resources and blow up your opponents and complete objectives. But yeah, it was a lot of fun just coming up with the dice system for combat and how you move and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It was, it was one of my favorite projects for sure. No. And it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I played the uh, prototype of it and then um, I, <laughs> then I backed it at the print and play level and then forgot to download the files. Uh, so. no, I, I've probably still got those somewhere in a folder, so I can, I can get you those. And steal them. <laughs> but I was like, it was a lot of fun because, like, how hard you hit them, how far they go back, or how far you miss by. And, I mean, it's it was a lot of fun. We, I mean, we had so many, you know, polyhedral dice out there at the office. We were like, no, I just bring a whole box in. And, uh-huh. Okay, you need how many of what? You know? But <laughs> we had a lot of fun playing that at the office because it was fun trying to line up your shot. And, and then you get – anytime you're flicking something, you've got two options, right? Too hard or not hard enough. Right. <laughs> it's finding that in between and mm-hmm. uh that that was a lot of fun with that game another fun game like that was uh my buddy's son made a game called drop racers and you're trying to flick cars to hit these little wooden oil drops of different colors you're trying to collect to complete your card and like i said in that game you either flick it it barely moves or you hit it so hard it flies off the table thumb on right. the Wii style. Then you had to play the game of where'd the, where'd the car go? <laughs> That's right. It's like a secondary round two of the game. game. <laughs> yeah, round two is find all the cards that flew off the table. <laughs> but yeah, that dexterity games, I feel they get a bad rap, but there's a lot of good ones out there. Yeah, there really are. And one of my favorite things to do as a designer is to have a game that is not a dexterity game, but have some kind of dexterity element. Right, so I've got a football game I designed a while back called Dungeon Ball, and it's very much an NFL blitz, arcadey, you know, playing cards. And it's kind of a, a rock paper scissors style game with the cards coming out and the way things work and all that. Um, it's got a little bit of a, a Yahtzee, you know, rolling dice trying to match, com- you know, get combos for the the faces of the dice. But then when you go to kick a field goal, there is a football shaped die, and you have to toss it into the box. And inside the box is printed a field goal post, and you have to land that ball, that die. <laughs> in between the uprights for the field goal to count. And so you all of a sudden get this like crazy tension of like, okay, I've just been rolling dice and, you know, luck of the luck of the roll and playing some cards and out, you know, outsmarting my opponent, whatever. But now, okay, now it's go time. And, and people get into a stance, you know, and they're like lining up their shot and all that. But the way the die is shaped, it's shaped like a football. So it's got this, these funny angles to it. And so it'll hit and bounce weird. 
And so yeah, I love just adding little elements like that. Um, the game I've been working on for two years called Robomon, where you're trying to capture, it's basically Pokemon in the board game, and you're trying to uh, capture these Robomon and taking some cues from Pokemon Go, where you have that little dexterity element, right? Where sure. you have to flip, flip the Pokeball. Flip, flip, yeah. yeah, same kind of concept where you've got, again, printed inside the box, this target. And depending on what type of, uh, it's called a reprogrammer, you're like reprogramming chip that like you throw onto the Robomon to like reprogram them to be on your team kind of thing. And so depending on which one you're using, it has a different shaped die. And then you're having to toss it into the box, trying to land it into a, a zone that is going to, you know, be able to capture this thing, right? And so <laughs> I just love adding these little dexterity elements in there to create some tension, create some fun. And uh, yeah, I love it. Do you ever play uh, Battle Ball? Battle Ball. Is that the one where the die was the speed and the strength of yeah. the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was... Uh, talked to uh, Eric Arneson. He was he wrote a book on like how to host a game night, and then I had him on the show, and Battle Ball was like a game he kept talking about in his book, and so I contacted him to be on my show, and I said, you know, give me a, give me a month. I'm going to track down the game and play it so we can talk about Battle Ball. Holy cow. The board is so huge in that right. game. And like you said, you're rolling the die for the speed and then the passing. And you got the little, like a little silver football. And then you got the football die. That's a, was it a D four? Oh, I think I it is. With like, uh-huh. but shape like a football and you're rolling this. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Oh man. That was, there's, there's a lot of weird football games out there. That's for sure. My there son has that time. NFL yeah. rush game. Uh-huh. Have yep. you ever I've seen, seen that, that one? one where yep. <laughs> yep. I wish there there's a good there's a better game in there. But their mechanic is not bad. There's just there's gotta be a better game than just throw the dice for luck. Right. And that's that's the mechanic of that game. Yeah. Well, it's so tough. I roll against you. I roll oh, I roll the seven, you roll the three, I win. Exactly. It's so tough with NFL license stuff because the NFL the fees to have the NFL license oh. are so astronomical. I talked to a guy because I, I was developing a game that would, would have fit right in with an NFL theme. And so I talked to a guy that had done um, NFL stuff in the past. And he's like, there's, I just can't, you can't afford it. And I get so expensive and you have to pay them a huge fee up front, at least back in this few years ago. I don't know about now, but anyway, I had to pay them a huge fee up front, just flat rate. And then you paid a percentage on top of like whatever you sold. And it was like, it's just, it's not feasible for the quantity that I'm going to sell, you know, like as a, as a hobby style game, you know, if you're only selling 2000 to 10,000 copies, like it just doesn't make sense financially to do it. Like you need to be in target, need to be in Walmart with one of these like throwaway $25 games that is probably not very good, but people are going to buy it because it has good you know art on the cover. And uh, anyway, it's a tough thing with the NFL license. Yeah. If you can get in with Hasbro or something, maybe, but exactly. Otherwise, well, yeah, so I was just talking with somebody else about the uh, Godfather Corleone's Empire and how like that game is amazing. And yet it wasn't it was like an ab not not a flop. I mean, it's Eric Lang. I mean, it's a great game, but the cost to get the Godfather IP plus all the minis. plus I mean, that box is huge and physically yeah. it is heavy. Right. And, you know, it just didn't do well. And I think it's, you know. She said it's probably because of the, the sheer cost they had to sell it at to to make the game worth buying. Right. I felt bad. I bought it off eBay for twenty five bucks. <laughs> Don't 80... feel bad. I think I got it for free. I think they were giving it away at Simon Con in uh, Atlanta, <laughs> and so and I had several friends that went and that uh, that all lived in the same house. 
And they're like, we don't need three copies of this. And so, you know, they were just giving stuff away left and right. So, I, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing it in the game shop. It was like 80 bucks. I'm like, 80 bucks? Holy yeah. cow. And I'm like, I paid 25 for mine off eBay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. then again, like I was saying earlier, some games you go to eBay and it's like 80 bucks. I'm like, I can't afford an $80 copy of Mystery at the Abbey. Come on. <laughs> right. right. And it's always a challenge, too, with, with IP stuff. Because so many... It'd be interesting to see like a case study or somebody do some some real research on like how many games based on IPs are bought as gifts, right? Where someone's like, oh, my brother, my cousin, they love The Godfather. And then they see The Godfather, the, the board game, like, oh, they would love that. But if it's $80, it's like, that's ah, a little outside my normal gifting price range, probably. And so like, I wonder how many people receive those type of games as gifts from grandmom because grandmom heard you say one time that you know the godfather was such a great film and she remembers that 17 years ago when you said it and she saw this at what walmart or you know wherever and now she bought this thing like i wonder i wonder about that so you can price yourself out of the gift market if you're not you know careful that's a good point i never thought of it that way but yeah i mean you see those i you know the ip games all the time usually they're like terrible trivia games where it's just like a deck of cards and how well mm-hmm. do you know sex in the city how well do you know sopranos right. i'm like not a game (laughs) yeah right (laughs) but you get these ones like the godfather where it's got like all the depth and you're playing through the the movie like that was i was impressed with that game uh Mm -hmm. very impressed with it so so kickstarter i already know the answer to this you're a backer and a creator and how's that how's kickstarter treated you um i mean overall it's been great i mean i've I've built my entire publishing company off of it. So uh, I can't have too many negative things to say. Um, you know, they, they put a lot of money into my business as, as a vehicle, as far as like finding customers, finding backers and uh, being able to create some really cool games and, and products out of that, you know, several books that I've written, I've gone to Kickstarter to get those funded and, and get those printed and produced and, and shipped out worldwide. And so, you know, I, have, I don't have a lot of negative stuff to say about Kickstarter on the whole. Uh, there's some little quality of life things that I wish that they would fix as far as things people have been talking about forever. Um, the backend system, like if you've never created a Kickstarter campaign, you, you've never known true frustration. Um, yeah. The backend system is just difficult and it does things you're like, why, why does this feel like WordPress 2004? You know, like yeah. what do we, we've come a long way guys. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know. And I'm hoping with GameFound coming on that, that um, Kickstarter will, will be forced to upgrade some of their stuff and make it a little easier to work with, make it a little sure. more user-friendly and, uh, you know, competition is a good thing. And, yeah. and so we'll see if GameFound starts eating into their market share uh, in the board game space, which is, I mean, Kickstarter, one of, one of, I don't know if it's the number one, but it's got to be in the top couple, two or three maybe, of Kickstarter's main revenue drawing uh, industries. And yeah. so we'll see what GameFound does as far as that kind of stuff goes. Um, yeah, I think Kickstarter on the whole has just been phenomenal. It has revolutionized the entire gaming industry. You know, it is it, it means that a lot of projects can come to life that never would have seen the light of day. And yeah, maybe they only print 500 copies, but that's 500 gamers that are going to really enjoy a game that never would have existed for whatever reason. Maybe it's a weird theme. You know, maybe it's a designer that is just so unknown and or maybe lives in a different part of the world that would never have been able to get into a major market or something like that. And so it's been phenomenal. Um, Kickstarter and the Game Crafter, I think, are two of the absolute biggest game changers, so to speak in game design and the gaming hobby of the last decade. Uh, they absolutely changed everything. And uh, like, I am a game, I'm a game designer now because of the game crafter. Yeah. Cause like I, I started getting into game design just for fun. And then I found the game crafter and it was still in beta at that point. And, uh, but the, the ability to print cards and buy components 
I have him shipped to my house to play as prototypes changed everything. And, and it just became, that was my hobby more than anything for a long time. It was just like, let's create cool prototypes. I don't, the games aren't any good. They're not any fun, but I love going on online and finding clip art and putting the game together. Like the actual yeah. process, that was a ton of fun. That's kind of how I, I got into it. And then it just, you know, snowballed from there. And, and here I am, this is like my primary income and what I do most of my day, you know, on, on top of doing the school stuff. So uh, anyway, yeah. No, Game Crafter uh, is great. I got a, a buddy of mine. He uses that almost exclusively. He does a lot of uh, kind of like print and plays. So you've got to like, you know, download the PDFs from Game Crafter and then supply your own meeple and dice. But, you know, you get, he calls them Wymore, the your material are rules. And so you can use minis or meeples or whatever and just, you know, it, but it gives him an avenue to get his game out there to people. And Game Crafter uh, does all of our prototypes, like you said, because you can do them so fast and you can do quick enough iterations that you can, oh, this didn't work. Oh, this card's OP. It's, you know, you write on it in Sharpie and then you redesign it. You go find some new clip art and you redesign the card and then you go have 20 of them made or whatever to swap out. Game Crafter really has helped in the prototyping uh side of things for sure and that's what we use it for mainly is prototyping right and to be able to print a really quality looking product and send it out to reviewers to take it to conventions to show people hey this is pretty close to what it's going to look like and you know the quality is going to be a little obviously better once it's manufactured in in mass but for people to be able to see and to to feel the the components and push things around the board and, and yeah it's 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 phenomenal jt at the game game crafter is just done an amazing job and so he's one of my favorite people in the industry because of that you know i don't know him super personally like we've he's been on my show and we've chatted online a a lot but just for him to have created what he created makes him one of my favorite people in the industry oh yeah absolutely uh yeah you you don't have the flexibility to do exactly what you want but you can get you can get pretty darn close with the game craft like our latest game is a uh it's a game where the game pieces are hexagons, but the hexagon that they offer is a little bit bigger than the hexagon on our board. But we're like, you know, it's a prototype, you know, it'll, right. it'll work. And like you said, you'll be able to push it around. You'll be able to, to feel the game and, and experience the game. And yeah, once we get it, once it's hopefully funded, uh, then we'll get it made in mass and we'll have more options to shrink down the hexagon of the right size and stuff. But, Game Crafter right here in uh, Wisconsin, right? It is. It is. They're in the wintry north where, where there's probably a lot more gamers up that way than where I'm from. I'm from Alabama. Um, you know, it's probably why I have this accent. And um, things are just different down there, man. Like, you can be outside a lot more often. You know, you can take, take a road trip a couple hours down to Florida and you're at the beach and it's pretty much the same temperature most of the year. But we're up there, man. Like, gaming just makes so much more sense and so I'm, I'm looking forward a friend of mine he actually moved to wisconsin a couple years ago and now that i'm finally being able to move back to the united states like i'm really looking forward to going up there because he's telling me like there's some really great game conventions and like just a lot of really cool game stuff going on up there so i'm excited to uh, check it out nice yeah I, I live in st louis right in the middle of it all so from day to day no idea what we're gonna have like we had snow and ice and then a couple days later it was 80 degrees and i'm like pretty sure i just (laughs) chipped ice off my car on tuesday and now it's all 80 degrees on friday ice is melting i'm not you know but that's life in the midwest i can (laughs) 
I've lived in the Midwest my whole life. So, well, Gabe, anything else you want to talk about or? No, man. I mean, uh, I think one of the things that was a potential question before was like, what, what game is on my table if someone comes over to my house? And um, that's one thing I was thinking through is like, well, one, I have, I have a cat and so, and I have young, <laughs> I have young children. And so anything on my table is a bad idea long-term. <laughs> It's it's always it's always a prototype. Um, that's one thing I love about this this industry, this hobby, is that there's always cool new stuff to try. Either games that I'm working on that you know hopefully are, are going to publish get published down the road, or games that people are pitching to me, or games I'm helping other people with in the game design community. Uh, I get to see so many cool ideas, and so people listen to this. Uh, I just hope you're ready because the pandemic has put a lot of people inside without much else to do. And so the number of really cool, amazing ideas coming here in the next two to five years because of because of the pandemic, because we were shut down and locked down and stuck inside and all that, there's some really cool things that I've seen. And I know a whole bunch of cool stuff. That, I know a whole bunch of cool stuff that I haven't seen. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited for what's next as far as these, these upcoming years. Yeah. Well, what was it? Uh, Steve Jackson Games had that game come out that was explicitly advertised as can be played over Zoom. I think it was called Hack and mm-hmm. Slash. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like advertised as like can be played over video conferencing. And, you know, I'm like, see, yep. thinking, you know, like you just said, like, how did this pandemic and, and house <laughs> house arrest affect everybody? And it's finding games you can play over Zoom. We did a lot of rolling rights um, over Zoom with my friends and family. But, yeah, you know, the hack and slash was one that, you know, was explicitly in the, the game trade magazine saying, hey, this can be played over, you know, over Zoom. And yeah, I can't wait to see what comes out of this at the end. So yeah, next couple just, of years ought to be interesting. And just speaking from a little anecdotally, but just what I'm seeing in my own community, like my podcast numbers have gone down some just because people aren't commuting. They haven't been driving, you know, the 30 minute commute to work back and forth every day. So the podcast numbers kind of went down depending on the episode and have kind of, you know, there hasn't been much growth in the last year or so, year or two. But the amount of growth in the Facebook community of people coming in and, and finding game design and finding hobby games and going, oh, I want to I want to create something like that. And then they find the community has been just astronomical. Thousands and thousands of people have come into the game design hobby in my, my personal community. And and so it's, it's grown by leaps and bounds in the last two years. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. For what's that's next. that's a very interesting. Very interesting that your podcast isn't growing, but the online community Cause yeah, I, I can tell you, I worked from home for uh, 16 months and I didn't listen to a lot of podcasts in that 16 months. Yeah, I started a podcast in that 16 months. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm hoping the numbers go back up you now once, you know, kind of things are opening back up and people are getting back to work and maybe going back to the office and we'll see. I know a lot of people aren't going back though. A lot of people are staying home. They've enjoyed it and they're going to work remotely and figure it out. But I think the numbers will come back and, and kind of grow up again. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think, it may not come back quickly, but I think it'll come back. You know, people will start listening. You know, even at my office, I sit at my desk and listen to podcast episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I try not. To, I try to listen to some that I'm like, I'll listen to it. So if I my mind isn't 100 percent on it, then you know, maybe not not too bad. But I, you right. know, some of them, you know, I I've been listening to some and back and forth to the office again. It's like, Oh yeah, I remember doing this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then I guess just to kind of wrap things up, um, game I mentioned earlier, Robomon, it's been a, a two plus year 
project, man, of just trying to figure out how do you turn Pokemon into a board game? How do you do that? Can you can you make an open world board game? And Sleeping Gods told me that you can. And I actually interviewed Ryan Lockett last week on my show. That episode hadn't aired yet, but it's absolutely one of my favorite episodes of all time because he just you know pulled back the curtain on everything he went through to create Sleeping Gods and, and turn it into an open world experience. And uh, I'm just trying to take a lot of his ideas for how to do that conceptually and then do it in a totally different way, right? Where you're going through the, this bu- big book of maps and you're encountering all these Robomon battles and you're trying to defeat bosses and um, become a Robomon uh, ranger along the way. And and so it's been a ton of fun. It'll hopefully go to GameFound soonish, maybe April, who, maybe May. I don't know. It's a massive, massive project. And so hopefully here soon. But um, yeah, people can check that out. I hope it works out for you. Yeah, me too. I'm kind of bet my entire company on it. So if it doesn't, it's nice knowing y'all. I guess <laughs> <laughs> you still have the podcast. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But um, I don't know if you know this podcasting in board game design space is not super lucrative. Uh, not a lot of money for no. that. Strangely enough, who knew? Who knew? I thought you know I was just going to roll in the dough, but uh, no, I'm just I'm just joking. No. But uh, anyway, it's been a lot of fun. Sadly not. Sadly not. <laughs> There's a lot you can do with it. Uh, it's a great platform to talk to people, learn stuff, have a good time. Like like I said, I use this a lot to, to find more games to add to my ever-growing shelving space that I don't have. And uh, we had a, so this week we had our neighbor over for the first time because, you know, the pandemic and to play a game. And she comes in and she sees the, the collection downstairs and she's like, oh, you guys got a lot of games. And my son's like, oh, that's just the downstairs portion. And I'm like... <laughs> How about a don't don't scare her away? (laughs) My grandmother used to say, "Always tell the truth, but don't always be telling it." (laughs) You know, so I think that's a moment right there. There you go. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of games. (laughs) Don't 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 go upstairs. There's more. Yeah, you ain't got to share the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, Gabe, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. If uh, anybody want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Yeah, so my email is just boardgamedesignlab at gmail.com. The best place to find me, though, is the Board Game Design Lab Facebook community. And so if you just search Board Game Design Lab on Facebook, it should be the number one thing that pops up. And, uh, yeah, my my publishing company, you can go to bestwithone.com. It's the number one. I I make mostly solo games, one one or two-player games. And so that's where they can find any games I've created. And then, uh, yeah, look for Robomon on GameFound. The uh, the pre-launch page is up, and so if anybody wants to check that out, they can find it there. Excellent. And as usual, you can reach me on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Eat Lunch and Board Game. Email me at eatlunchandboardgame at gmail.com. Find me on my website, which is eatlunchandboardgame.com. And remember, board games build bridges. Stay in tune with all things sports around Indiana and the nation with the Crash Course Podcast. Each week, we tackle the big storylines from the world of the Colts, Pacers, and the Indiana College scene, while also keeping a pulse on the nation. We record live weekly at twitch.tv slash 3C Media, and can be found on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can catch the Crash Course Podcast. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have 
ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com. 